This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Just had the, I've just had this on my heart for a long time. Um, I'm trying to be balanced over it because um, when you have something on your heart, it's, people say, oh, that's his thing. <laughs> you know, it, it could be I, I'm into Proverbs or Psalms or the history of the Jews or the, you know, deep theology, all things like that. Um, but this, isn't, this, in a sense, isn't my thing. This is, this is my life um, that I'm going to share with you in a moment. Um, as Herod was talking about God as creator... What about that sunset last night? Wow. Did people wow. see it? Yeah. Wasn't it just, it was just staggering. Yeah. You know, we, we had to go out and, um, and look. I've got a cousin staying from Canada. He was out there with his camera. He said, I've never seen anything like this. And, and if you look to one side, there was a, a small rainbow as well, wasn't there? And uh, I thought, oh yeah, this is fantastic. And I thought, yeah, that's the God I'm going to talk about tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, as fathers, Herod already said about fathers. Um, I know we've all already given the fathers chocolate bars and the men here, uh, but I'd just like the fathers in here just to stand up. If you're a father, just stand up. Is that okay? And the rest of us, I'd like to just give them a good clap. Is that okay? Okay. You can sit down now. Sit down. Some of you I've got to know really well over the years that I've been here, and I'm, I've just got to say I'm so proud of you. You know, I'm just in awe of you, some of you. And I, I know... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <coughs> yeah, I know for some of you, it's, it's a long time since you've said the old wedding vows. I do, and looked in, into the eyes of your wife and thought this is the most beautiful woman in the world. And... Also, going back to when you saw your firstborn being born, you know, just the, the awe and the, just the amazement of it. And, but sadly for some of you, that hasn't been happy ever after, has it? And uh, I've talked to some of you and heard your stories, and uh, sometimes very painful for me. Uh, as, as I share, I might get a little bit emotional uh, whenever I talk about fathers and father's love. And when I meet people who haven't had that love, it breaks my heart. <coughs> uh, the talk will be main, mainly based around the story of the prodigal son, which is my favourite story in the Bible. Um, any books on the prodigal son I love to buy, stories on the prodigal son I love to hear. Um, I've got a picture in my man cave of the return of the prodigal son uh, by Rembrandt, which is in the, um, the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. I would like to have got there to see it, but Obviously, with the Russian war, it's probably going to be very unlikely for the next few years. Apparently, it's about um, two metres by two metres, so it's massive. Uh, but I have that on, on my wall, and I look at it now and again. And I just see the hands of the father on the son welcoming him home. So I'd just like to pray 
Father, I, I lift especially fathers to you today. Just ask you, Holy Spirit, just to come into their hearts, just open their hearts, open their hearts and minds to you as a, a loving father. Father, I, I know you love us all so, so much. And even though we'll have the rest of their lives, we, we just, there's so much of your love that we won't ever reach, that your love reaches out to us day after day, week after week. Lord, help me as I'm a bit nervous uh, to give over what you want to speak, not what I want to speak, but your words to our hearts as fathers. Amen. Yeah, what I want to do is, is speak as a father and imagine you're all my sons. I'm old enough to do that, apart from a, probably one guy in the room I couldn't be his father. But the rest of you, I could be your father and some of you, your grandfather. Um, <laughs> so before we start, we're gonna, Naomi's going to read the story of the prodigal son, which should come up on, on the screen. It's from Luke 15. My apologies, it is a little long, so... But Naomi is going to read, us, read the story to us. Most of us know it, but some perhaps don't, so it might be, might be new to us. Thank you, Naomi. Verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Naomi. If you can bring up verse 13, that would be good. So the younger son set off on a journey. <clears throat> so I'm just going to ask you the question now, will you come on a journey with me? Is that okay? Will you come on a journey with me? I'll be talking openly of my own journey, both as a prodigal and the older brother. I'll be talking obviously mainly to the fathers, so ladies don't switch off. <laughs> think it will be equally applicable to you. <coughs> when I was writing that down, I thought of the time when God took Adam and took the rib from Adam and made it into a woman. And I would say to you guys, the rib is taken from under the heart. So I would say to you guys, let your, let your wives feel the heartbeat of God through your heart. Keep your wife close to your heart. Through this, uh, Philip in the Bible said to Jesus, show us the Father. That was the cry of Philip's heart. Show us the Father. And Jesus said to him, basically, if you want to know what the Father's like, look at me. Look at me. If you want to know what the Father's like, look at me. So through my story, we will find a Father who looks and acts like Jesus. I'd just like to read something to you now. A little bit more light-hearted. Two brothers are terrible troublemakers. They are always breaking things, stealing things, lying, and making all kinds of general trouble. The parents have tried everything to get the boys to change, to no avail. Finally, out of options, they ask their pastor if he can help. He says he will talk to the boys, but only one at a time. The parents drop off the youngest and go home, promising to return to get him soon. The boy sits in a chair across from the pastor's desk, and they just look at each other. The pastor begins... No, finally the pastor says, Where is God? The boy just sits there and doesn't answer. The pastor begins to look stern, and loudly says, Where is God? The little boy shifts in his seat, but still doesn't answer. The pastor is starting to get angry at the boy's refusal to converse and practically shouts, Where is God? To the pastor's surprise, the little boy jumps up out of his chair and runs out of the office. The boy leaves the church and runs all the way home, up the stairs and into his brother's room. He shuts the door and pants, We're in big trouble. God's missing and they think we did it. <laughs> <laughs> So for many of us, <laughs> over the years, we've found the God side of the Trinity harder to understand. It's, it's the loving Father side of it that we, we 
find hard to come to terms with. So much of how we see God is perhaps our own fathers have been with us. Is God angry? Is he distant? Is he absent? Like we just heard, where is God? And is he cruel? Right, what was my father like? You will see as the story unfolds. Well, my journey started 70 years ago. So I've been alive as long as the Queen's been on the throne. So that's, that's quite a, a thing, isn't it, really? <clears throat> I was born in a little village called Church Lench, just outside of the Vale of Isham in the next county. <clears throat> I was born at home. The local doctor and local midwife were there, which would never happen these days, would it? <laughs> the house had only just received electricity. We had two television channels, which switched off at about 11 o'clock at night. Population of about 300. In that village, we had three shops, a post office, a general store, and a sweet shop, which for a little boy was amazing. <laughs> Very often, I bought stale sweets from there. There was no sell-by dates <laughs> there. <laughs> Mostly at that time, the men worked, and the ladies stayed at home, bringing the children bringing the children up. It wasn't until I was about 11 that I met anyone from another nationality. We were all white kids. I had two classes in my infant school, two classes, that was all. So the age ranges were split like in half. Had two teachers. I learned to count on an abacus, which is a little frame with beads on. For those of you who don't know. <laughs> There were no calculators. <laughs> Midday at lunch, we would have a quarter of a pint of milk given to us, which uh, I really enjoyed. One of the, the joys of where I was born is I loved the countryside. Uh, I, I grew up to have an appreciation of nature, which I loved, and I've still got now. Um, so in that sense, it was idyllic. We could just go with my mates. We could go out in the country and just disappear and do all sorts, build dens, jump streams, generally get dirty, um, go birds nesting, which is, it was legal then, but it's not now. <coughs> I love music, absolutely love music. Uh, there was no Amazon music then, no Spotify. I had a little tin transistor radio, which I would tune in at night to something called Radio Luxembourg or Radio Caroline. There was no Radio 1, that came in 1967. <clears throat> so, there we go. That was, uh... Then I got onto my church life. My parents were Christians. And we went to a little village Baptist church, which was made up of what they call box pews, which you've probably not heard of. You'd go in, you'd open the door, like that, step in and it was all enclosed. You sit on a hard wooden seat. They were, they were done to keep you warm. Each, each pew had a family in it, because it was before the times of electricity. Um, it would keep the drafts and things away. <coughs> it was a, a strange church in many ways. There was a hymn board up there which had five hymns. Whenever I used to sit down, I used to look how long the hymns were, how many verses, if they had six or seven verses. 
<laughs> if there were four hymns, that was joy. <laughs> 11 o'clock, the back door of the church opened and the, these black-seated men would walk in, four or five of them, the deacons, and uh, they'd all come in. And someone would put on a different voice and say, Heavenly Father, we're gathered here today. <laughs> I don't know why I put those strange voices on. <laughs> so you can imagine that went on Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, and I hated it. Couldn't, I just could not hate it. I had no concept of a loving God. <clears throat> the, the, the church didn't have much room for the Holy Spirit. So that was, that was tough. <clears throat> and then I went on to my teenage years. I moved from a little school of about 60 to a high school of a, of a thousand. And those were tough years. Some friends of my parents went to them and said that I was evil. They told my parents I was evil. <clears throat> and Luke 15, 14, if you can bring that up. It said the prodigal son felt like he was in a famine and in need. I felt like I was in a famine personally, emotionally. Obviously it wasn't lack of food. I just felt in need. I just felt lost. And I didn't know why. I couldn't tell why. I just felt lost. I felt angry. Um, at school, I used to get in with the bad gangs, and then I'd have a change of mind and get back in with the good side of the people. I got into fights, and I just, I just felt lost. <coughs> and I think looking back now, a, a lot of it was because I wasn't affirmed by my father. My father, who I honour, and I thank God for him, and he was amazing in many ways, and I'm sure I learned from him some good ways in life. But he was damaged. He came into marriage and fatherhood very damaged. He was one of four children, and he was the only child who was picked on by his father. He was, he was hit by the book end of about many times. Um, I was told that his mother had to plead with his father to stop, stop it or he would kill him. But because, when he came into that, because of the way he was treated, it's almost like he abdicated being a father on the emotional side. Uh, I'm glad that he, in one way I'm glad that he abdicated discipline, because <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to go that way. The discipline in my home was left to my mother. Uh, he was a workaholic. <coughs> and I loved sport. He didn't. I loved music. He didn't. I used to love watching a program called Top of the Pops, uh, which some of you can probably remember. <laughs> and he used to shout at me, it was the devil's music. So that did a lot for my confidence, didn't it? <laughs> Fortunately, I had the outdoor life where I could go out into the countryside. Um, I loved my own company. Uh, I took on a lot of sort of project, projects in the uh, pet world. I kept goats, mice, birds, pigeons, you name it, I kept it. Um, my son who's here, he, he followed that way a little bit. <laughs> he knows what I mean. 
<clears throat> but my father never came alongside me. I, I would have loved to have played cricket and got into a football team, but there was, there was nothing, nothing like that. Um, because he didn't like it, that was it. Uh, so there are any fathers here, if, you're, if your sons or daughters have, have got passions that you can't recognise, I would ask you just to humbly just come, come alongside them and help them, encourage them, try and build them up. I know it's not easy sometimes. <coughs> so I had no compass point as a teenager growing up. And also, I had a sister who was perfect. She was well into her education, she learned to play the piano. I've never known her do anything wrong. So she was, seemed like the apple of my, of, her, of my parents' eye. You know, so I had that to contend with. I'm sure some of you have had that with siblings who seem to excel over you, etc., etc. <coughs> so I'm not, I'm not blaming my father. You know, I'm just, that's the way it was. So, at the age of 16, if you can bring up Luke 15, 13, I had the opportunity to set off for a distant country. Um, because I'd always loved the outdoor life, I managed to get a job as a trainee forester near Peterborough, which was about 80 miles from where I lived. So I thought, this is it. I'm off to the distant land now. This is my prodigal journey carrying on, as it were. I still moved away, I was still confused, I was still unaffirmed. But I, I enjoyed the work as a forester. A lot of the time spent on my own. <coughs> then at 17, I became a Christian. You say, well, between the age of 16 and 17, that wasn't long for you to sow your wild oats and travel to a distant land. Um, looking back, I think my mum was probably praying for me. So Luke 15, 17, if that comes up. I came to my senses and became a Christian. Two months later, I had the joy of being filled with the Holy Spirit, baptised in the Holy Spirit, which was just, looking back now, it was the Father affirming me, but I didn't realise it then. I didn't realise that's what he was affirming me as a son. And I would say to any of you who haven't been baptised with the Holy Spirit, it's a baptism of love. God just pours himself into you. It was just like liquid love pouring into my body. And I was literally drunk on it for three days. I had to be helped down the street. I was staggering, holding onto lampposts when I left, left the church. <coughs> but that's another story. <laughs> my father was very misogynistic. Maybe that was to do with his lack of self-worth and with wanting to be superior. There is no doubt we are shaped by our fathers, for good and bad. Mine, by his nature, gave me a good work ethic. And he was also a kind man and really provided for his family. He was not good on the domestic front at home. And I must admit, it's something I have had to work at. And it's caused quite a few arguments with me and Chris over the years, I think. <laughs> so I've had to keep working at it. He was hot on timekeeping, 
which I think I've picked up on as well. Um, again, Chris perhaps isn't the best of timekeeping, so we've had to work around that a little bit. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it, when you think you could be joined to your wife in holy matrimony, but you also join your two families, don't you? <laughs> and that can be challenging. Um, some families, when they're working things out, will have a good old slang match and a good shout and everything will be all right, where others, they keep things quiet, you know, and brew on it. And, and other, other families are very open around the table and jokey and enjoying one another's companies, where other families, oh no, you sit, you sit at the table, you don't joke, you get on with your meal, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Chris over the years has said to me, well, that was just like your dad, isn't it? You get that? Do you that in your family? Do you get that? Oh, that's just like your mum did, or that's just like your dad. <coughs> so no doubt our upbringing affects us. And the old, old question, isn't it, is it court or genetic? <laughs> we had some friends who adopted two boys. They weren't brothers, but they adopted two boys. The one boy grew up model citizen. <coughs> the other boy um, got into crime and drugs, and in trouble with the police. Um, sadly, he died from a drug overdose. But we found out later that his father was the same, even though he'd been adopted. His father was um, a criminal. <coughs> and we all watch these um, TV programmes, don't we? Like Long Lost Family, and how the twins have been separated, they come together. They dress the same, they've got the same jobs. So there is, there is some genetic thing in it, isn't there? <coughs> but I think most, most of it, I think, is probably learned from our, our parents. <coughs> Then we get children who are pushed by their parents down a certain path. They're trying to pursue their own dream through their children. Expectations put on children to follow a certain career path. Uh, Chris has got a friend she went to college with. Her parents were both university professors and they wanted her to go down the same route. She ended up being a teacher, which was amazing, but that, that wasn't good enough for them. And she's told us since that they she was never affirmed. She was never told that she was loved. The only thing was they wanted her to be a university professor. And then there are controlling parents. <coughs> I had two friends. One was a farmer's son. The other was a Baptist pastor's son. <coughs> Both fathers were very controlling over their sons wouldn't let them go out and mix with the world, <coughs> wouldn't let them pursue their own path as regards a job. Both of them, sadly, ended up taking their own lives. So it is, it, we all know stories like that, you know, so. <coughs> and then there are absent fathers. They could, could equally be mothers, but probably less likely. <coughs> Cruel and abusive fathers emotionally and physically. The hurt, pain and rejection is very real and we bring it with us into life, marriage, relationships, parenting. When I finished forestry, um, it was a time of recession like now and I had to look for another job. 
So I decided while I was looking to join the family business, which was um, home appliance repairs and sales. So I joined the family business. Even then, I wasn't affirmed as a son joining the family business. I was employed as an employee. So I was still suffering from a lack of affirmation. Even though I was a Christian, I was still looking for, a lack, for affirmation. I always loved my work, whether it was forestry or in home appliances. So I went from in forestry working on my own to going around people's houses to repair their appliances. So I'd meet six or eight people a day. So I'm a, a very shy boy. I had to learn on my feet. <laughs> and I went on to marry and have two sons of my own and then a daughter, one who's here, who I'm very proud of. <laughs> I hope I've, I've learned from the way my father fathered or tried to father with my own children. You'll have to ask Tom whether I was any good at that or not. <clears throat> but I hope I've been an affirming father. <clears throat> so when you become a Christian, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Some people you meet, they're absolutely changed. And their past life seems to be forgotten about. And the pain and everything of their past life seems to be forgotten about. And they're changed overnight. Um, but in my experience, that's not very common. <clears throat> From my observations, most of us still carry baggage, scars, wounds, memories. <clears throat> we still have prodigal ways. I had a friend, he was an architect, and he decided to get into property development and into property. And... He started off quite with small properties, but then he got up to million pound, two million pound properties. And then he started having the big cars. And he was a workaholic. He couldn't stop. And he got more and more property, got into business properties. I followed him and his wife round through six houses. His wife would put down roots, get to know the people in the community, and, up, and off they go again. Then the affair started with him and his wife had him back no end of times. In the end, she couldn't do it anymore. And uh, they had two children. Some of the friends, again, he, he was a workaholic. He was worked on a big farm that uh, sold vegetables to Tesco's. And in the summer, he'd worked 14 hours. They had four children. One day he came home, his wife had walked out and left him with the four children. So I know there are many reasons why people divorce and separate. <coughs> but that was, that was a real shock. Then I had another friend. She was conceived on the back seat of a car in a one-night stand. She carried that. She could not deal with the pain. She tried so many different ways. But she stalled the whole of her life. To, to try and find a father. She didn't know who her father was. <coughs> Those three people I've just mentioned, they were all Christians. Which in a sense is shocking, isn't it? When I was growing up in, in my village, I knew no one who was divorced. And there was only one single parent in the village. So now it's gone completely round the other way, hasn't it? With much, much pain and sadness. 
So those people I've just related, they had prodigal ways, they had baggage, they had wounds. <clears throat> I think I always wanted to follow Jesus and learn of his ways when I became a Christian. The older I got, the more it seemed out of reach. I looked at other Christians' lives, and apart from meeting the occasional Christian, that their life sort of really shone out, and you thought, well, they seem a little bit different. So the other Christians I looked at and their lives and mine seemed far from being Christ-like. Probably I was trying to measure it by works, I don't know. And a lot of the world's values and ways seem to be in the church. So I used to ask myself many questions over the years. Why are Christians nasty to one another and fall out over trivial things? Why do leaders fall on a regular basis? Why is power and recognition so important? Why do some Christians have a personality change when they get behind the wheel of a car? <laughs> I joke at that, but I've, I've heard some stories. And my, my sister's, well, I said about my sister not being perfect, didn't I? I'll be imperfect, but she, when she gets, she has suffers from road rage. <laughs> but with all these questions, of course I knew the answer. I had to, only had to examine my own heart. John 8, verse 36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I had times of freedom but never felt I was truly free. It's almost like I'd still had the handcuffs on. I had wonderful encounters with God over the years, and I still do. We all know when we go to conferences and, and things like that, and the power of the Spirit is there, and it's just wonderful. And you come home and you think, yeah, this is how I'm going to live my life. <clears throat> but after a couple of weeks, it's back to normal. <laughs> and I've been, over the years, I've been affirmed by God many times. Um, and God has overflowed with his goodness in my life. Uh, but I've, I've looked at the church, on the, I'm not talking, I'm talking about the church generally, on the whole is like the older brother. The emphasis seemed to say that I was a sinner and could do better. I had to earn God's love. So I was in many ways like both sons. I had no father and I had no home. And it was in my mid to late 50s, I heard a, a speaker talk on being an ambassador of love. And this set something off in my life. It's obviously God was illuminating something in me. And this guy prayed for me. And as you know what an ambassador is, he represents the country of birth in another country. <clears throat> And this guy said, you can, be, you can be an ambassador of love and represent heaven. You can bring heaven to earth. As we prayed at the start of the service, your kingdom come on earth. You know, I could bring the kingdom of love to earth. <clears throat> and how Jesus loved the lowest and the least. And I wanted that. I'd seen how Jesus lived his life, how he, he loved the lowest and the least. <clears throat> And then my, what I call my light, light bulb moment kicked in. God revealed to me that up until my mid to late 50s, I'd been an orphan. <clears throat> I'd been an orphan. If 
you can bring up Luke 15, verse 20. Oh, he knew what verse 20 meant after all those years. I was home. I was home. Eureka. I was affirmed. And if you can bring up Luke 15 to 21. I was now a son. The result, I could live from love. I could live from love. And that was the result. The father put his robe of righteousness around me. After he'd hugged me and kissed me, he put his robe of righteousness around me, put the ring of sonship on my finger, shoes on my feet. Slaves had no feet, I mean, no, no shoes. <coughs> so, I was now a son. The freedom, the joy... Oh, the joy. I was out of prison after all those years. I now knew what I was made for. I was now free. I could now be an ambassador of love. Whereas I was either one of the other sons, I could now be an ambassador of love. I now fully understand why we have to be born again of the Spirit. We were born of the flesh, then we have to be born of the Spirit. You know what? When I talked about looking down on my firstborn, looking for the first time, now God's a, God holds it. When we're born again, it's like God is holding us in his arms and looking at, looking at us saying, my son, my son, we can start again. If you've had a, a terrible time, if you've not known your father, if you've known pain, if you've known grief, absence, absent fathers, your heavenly father now holds you and says, Look, this, this is my baby. This is my son. And you can look upon his eyes, look into his eyes, and it will be nothing but love looks back. Not rejection. Nothing like that. I now have a perfect dad. His love is constant, pure and unrelenting, despite our many failures and prodigal adventures. So I'm coming now to, to wind up. So then I realised I had to live in love. I had to live in that place, what we've read up there. I've, I have to live with the Father's righteousness around me as a son, no more as an orphan. <clears throat> but if you want that, you have to desire it. I had, there was desperation in my heart. There was desperation. The lust, the pain, the rejection, the anger. Give it to him. Give it to him. Don't take out your anger on your wife. Don't take out your lust by turning turn to pornography channels. Don't take out the pain by turning to drink. Give it to him. Go to him. Tell him about it. Tell him about it. Don't hide. It's a journey, not a sprint. It's a journey. And I'm learning all the time. You know, now I've learned now if I'm, if I, if I'm feeling rejected, if I'm feeling alone, if I'm feeling angry, um, I go to him. You've heard me talk about my chair, haven't you? I've got this chair where I sit on. It's just become a very holy place. Every time I sit on it, 
I cry. So I do anything, I just cry. And I grew up in the age where big men don't cry. I find it very hard, even at funerals, close people, I find it hard to cry. But when I get with my Heavenly Father, because I know, I don't know what it is, I know I'm loved. I just know I'm loved. And he says, bring it all, bring it all to me. I care for you, I love you. I'm kind, I'm generous. Um, and I've seen, going back to nature, I just love what God's created. And everything he does, he overflows, he overflows. And when you get before him, his love, it just overflows. It's overwhelming. Sometimes my heart wants to burst out of my chest with his love for me. And, and the freedom that's come, the joy that's come. Um, <clears throat> a few months back, and this is about being on the journey, what I was saying, it's not a sprint. I felt God say to me, can you love without an agenda? Can I love people without an agenda? And I thought, yeah, with your help, Father, I can. That is hard, that is hard when you've got people that you, you've grown to hate or dislike or people who don't believe the same as you. To be able to love them with the Father's love. It's not, religion doesn't change people. Theology doesn't change people. Although theology is important, obviously. It's love that changes people. It's love. So I'll hand over now to, to Herod. Um, I've opened up quite a bit of my life there. and I would like to say that my, my father, towards the end of his life, did realise that he was loved by a heavenly father who loved him, that he, he spent all his life fearful of hell. And that was nice. And, and we did have a, a lovely relation towards the end relationship. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.